but they had missed it. It became dinner. It became time to hang out with your family. It became just the experience of a retelling of a story. Our Christianity so often becomes just a historical thing. Not a present thing, not a powerful thing, and not a future thing. There is no power really in the past. The power is in the future. Tomorrow is when Jesus acts. Yesterday he did. Tomorrow he will. Today he does. And if our life, our spiritual walk is all about what happened before, we're missing what's coming. This bread that I break in front of you today is my body broken for you. Here it is, guys. Here's this new symbol. Here's this new thing. Paradigm shifts. The concept of a paradigm shift was given back in the 60s by a scientist to try to explain how, how things were just really changing rapidly. And he was trying to explain how one major new discovery could change the way we look at everything from that point on. One major new change, one major new reality could change everything going forward in the future. That's what happened at that communion. If you had said to someone in that room, prepare for the communion, no one would have known what to do. So Jesus said, prepare for the Passover. Because he always starts where we are. He doesn't take us into the obscurity of the future without giving us the anchor of the past. So the past isn't to be ignored. It's to be recognized not as something that can be completely walked away from, though there is always walking away. But it is the future that God is trying to take us into. Do you notice you take up your cross and you follow? Do you notice that you that you yoke yourself together and you walk with? Do you notice that in, in your spiritual life there is always a, a challenge to keep moving forward, to keep moving forward, to keep moving forward, away from your brokenness into his healing? So when the scientist presented the idea of a complete blow-your-mind different way of looking at things, he put up this picture in front of the people who were looking at it. He said, all right, you guys, what do you see on the board? Do you see the duck? Raise your hand if you see the duck. Great. So there's a duck on the board. He said, everybody sees the duck. It's clear. There's a duck. He's got, he's there. He's looking over to, over my, uh, shoulder to the left. And that duck is the picture. That duck is the image. That duck is the reality. But do you see a rabbit? Do you see a duck? Do some of you only see a rabbit? Do some of you only see a duck? You see, the future is that kind of a paradigm shift. Once you do see the duck and the rabbit, you can't unsee what you've seen. A paradigm shift is a, is a, is a thing that changes the way you look at the world from that point on. Can you see the duck now? Do you see all the major change I made? Here, I'll switch back. No change? Change. No change? Oh, go back. Change. Got it? See that huge change? Now do you see the rabbit? The rabbit goes that way. The duck goes that way. Over here is a rabbit going to that, out that exit. Over there is a duck going out that exit. Do you see that they're the same? 
But do you see that you can never unsee what you've seen? That's a paradigm shift. He breaks the bread in front of them and says, this is my body. And over the next couple days, they see his body broken for them. He takes the cup and he says, this is my blood. And over the next few days, they see his blood spilled for them. Christianity, your faith, is a challenge, a call to the next step God wants you to take. Our children's story was about Peter today. Our children's story was about Peter. Here's a guy who faced a, some, a lot of major paradigm shifts. But I want you to think of the one that we always kind of gather around with Peter. That major moment of triumph and defeat that happened almost simultaneously. He's in the boat with the other disciples. The thing he understands, the thing he knows, he's been fishing with these guys for a long time. He's been fishing on this lake for a long time. He has the rookie carpenter from Nazareth along for the ride. Or actually, he does it at this point. But he sees Jesus coming. First, they panic because people don't do what Jesus was doing. Do you realize that if you step into the future that God holds, some people will look at you and panic. Some people will look at the future you're taking, the steps you're taking, and they will say, that is not the way this is to be done. What in the world are you doing? What is wrong with you? Jesus comes walking on the water, and the disciples are frightened by what Jesus is doing. Ever been frightened by what Jesus is doing? Ever been fighting about what Jesus is calling you to do? In that moment, Jesus has an opportunity to have 12 water walkers get out of the boat. A dozen guys could have jumped out of that boat and started dancing on the water. Do you realize? A dozen of them could have done what Peter did. Peter... Always, the vocal one says, if it's really you. And I love that he, that he states that first. <laughs> because it shows that this is a complete act of faith. Because he's not even sure that's actually Jesus out there. If it's really you out there defying gravity. If it's really you out there defying all things I understand to be true about water. If it's really you, call me to come to you on the water. And one word changes the way Peter looks at water for the rest of his life. Changes the way Peter looks at water for the rest of his life. Peter steps out of the boat. And he doesn't have a long walk. If, we're re- if, if the scriptures relate to the time factor, it's a pretty brief walk. But he gets out and he steps on top of the water. And we don't know how many steps he takes before he freaks out. We all should recognize we're more likely to freak out than to stay on top of the water. When Jesus challenges you to that next step, it's probably going to scare you. It's probably going to end with, it's going to begin with something that has to do with leaving the past. Because Peter had to abandon everything he knew about safety on the water. Peter had been taught by the fishermen before him, stay in the boat. The boat is your place of refuge. Be careful. Don't get thrown out of the boat. Don't stand up at the wrong time and get and, and lose your footing and end up falling out of the boat. Stay in the boat. Number one rule of water safety, stay in the boat. 
What did Jesus say? Come on. Get out of the boat. Everything has to change at that moment for Peter. He has to abandon what he knows to be true about the security of the information he's been given and the reality that he knows. He has to abandon everything he knows about boats and the water. And he steps out of the boat. Where is God calling you to abandon the boat of your past and step onto the water of your future? Paradigm shift. We are getting ready for a major shift in our paradigm. It's as big as this is my body. It's probably not as consequential to the rest of Protestantism and the rest of Christianity as that moment. But for this church, it's going to be an earthquake. The tectonic plates of what we know are about to change here. Because we are going to get up from these seats in about six months and move into seats just about 50 feet away. And when we do, the earth's going to move. A paradigm shift is going to take place. Our roles are going to change. Our experience is going to change. And for some of you, it's going to be upsetting. I'll guarantee you right now, some of you are going to walk into the new building and go, I don't like it. Here's what I have to say to you. Get used to it. Because that's the future. That's what's going to happen. When Peter got out of the boat, the future changed. From that point on, the future was different. Because every time Peter looked at the water, from then on, he knew that God had the authority to let him stand on top. I wonder how many times he tried. Wouldn't you try it again? Wouldn't you kind of in the quiet when there's no one around go out to the edge of the lake and say, okay, God, I kind of blew it the first time. Can we do this again? Wouldn't you? I would. I'd be like, okay, no one's around. Let's do. How many times was he in up to his knees before he realized it's not happening today, buddy? But I'll tell you for certain, he could never unexperience or unsee what he had seen. He had looked down at his own feet on top of the water, and he could never unlearn the faith of that moment. And he was forever changed. Change comes in positive moments, and it comes in difficult and painful moments. We all know what just happened in Paradise, California. Fire came up on the east side of the ridge, blew across the top of the ridge, and no one really knows how much of the homes and businesses are still there. We're getting little bits and pieces, dribs and drabs of information about what's happened. We know people who have lost their homes. We know people who haven't. We will have the experience of of being in that life with some people we care about and we love. By extension, certainly. But real and true. Stephen, 
be the rising star of the early church. Peter, James, John, the, the leaders of the church, the apostles, they're the, they're, they're the guys who are getting all the attention. And suddenly out from among the deacons comes this guy. And he's such a powerful speaker. He's such a powerful preacher. The anointing of God is out on this guy, and it's so clear. People around Stephen are being touched and being converted. Amazing stuff is happening. And as was true with Peter and John, this great stuff he's doing begins to attract the attention of the Pharisees. Begins to attract the attention of the leaders of the historic church. And so they go and they find him. And they arrest him. And they bring him in front of the council. A council of 40 to 50 leaders in the church. And they say, what is this you're about? And the Bible describes Peter's sermon, or sorry, Stephen's sermon in great detail, which tells you someone in that room informed the story. We know one of the people. He preaches and he starts at the beginning. God's faithfulness to the people who are in covenant relationship. And he walks through year after year, individual after individual. He walks through the foundational pillars of the faith of these men who are sitting around the table. And as he walks through all the foundational pillars, he said there was a pillar that was laid in this foundation just recently. It was the pillar of Jesus Christ. It was the pillar of His sacrifice. It was the pillar of His blood spilled for you. It was a pillar that will carry everything forward. It is the cornerstone of a new creation that God has laid. And it's going to change everything. And they covered their ears as he looked into the heavens and said, I see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Father. And they rushed at him. And they grabbed him and they dragged him outside the city. And they stoned him to death. The last words on Stephen's lips. Lord, God, please don't allow this sin to be held against these men. And standing there in the group, apparently not holding a rock, but watching in full agreement is a man named Saul. And the mantle of Stephen is placed on the shoulders of Saul. No one expected it. Over the weeks and months ahead, as Saul's conversion takes root and Saul's transformation becomes clear, the future becomes foggy. Because no one expected some guy from the midst of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin to become the greatest voice for Jesus in the world. And out of the tragedy of Stephen's death, the church flees and spreads the news. And out of the tragedy of Stephen's stoning, a man 
is changed forever. There will always be a call from God to get out of the boat. There will always be a challenge in our life to step out of whatever comfort zone we find ourselves in into the next thing. It may be a big jump like out onto the water. It may be a small step out onto the shore. But there will always be a call. And when you get comfortable standing on the water, there will be a call to do something else. And when you get comfortable doing that, there will be a call to the next challenge. Because your faith is built on those challenges. And your faith is the relationship, the foundation of your walk with God. What we celebrated today could easily be for us just a history thing. It's just a lesson about the past. But what Jesus intended for this is a recognition that every day we surrender to the indwelling Christ. And his next call. I invite you to get out of the boat. I invite you into the next shift in the paradigms of your understanding. I invite you to see where your faith in God will take you. Whether what you're feeling right now today is the comfort of a familiar spot or the instability of of that first step or the stone that's been directed at you. God is in this moment. He is not surprised by what is happening. And he has a plan and a future and a hope in mind. Let's pray. Father, there is no way to know even how to pray. Some of us in this room have been given bad news. And the future looks kind of bleak. It's come to us from our doctors. It's come to us from our employers. It's come to us from our children. It's come to us from our church. And we don't know what the future will hold. And we want to hold on to our boat and stay where we understand it to be safe. Our friends, some we know in Thousand Oaks, some we know in Camarillo, some we know in Paradise, are reeling from the result of sin, from the result of a world gone crazy. But we know you understand that you are not abandoning any of us or any of them. So we bring to you our fear. We bring to you our anxiety. 
We are thankful for the firm nature of the foundations of our past. But today we choose to take your hand, be yoked together with you, and follow you home. Knowing that there will be steps ahead. Knowing that some of them will be scary. We trust you for the scary.